we are going to look at, you know, you guys have been studying, uh, it's all about worshiping, uh, acts of worship. We looked at the Father, Son, Holy Spirit before Christmas, right? And then we looked at some prayer time, prayer issues in January. And now in February here, we're looking at some other issues about how do we worship. And we're going to look at worshiping through, through our serving the least of these. So this is a, a passage that most of you have probably read before, although I personally had not done a lot of study on it, and it was a little bit of a challenge for me to get my arms wrapped around it. So let's start off. This is in Matthew 25. Everybody got notes, by the way? <coughs> Maybe you want to read for us? Read that whole piece at 31 to 46. Yep, just read the whole thing. obviously know this is the sheep and the goats. You've heard, the, you know, in sermons or whatever, talking about separating the sheep uh, sheep and the goats, and it kind of reads as a mirrored passage. You know, somebody did something, same thing, somebody didn't do that same thing, and somehow there is judgment here. So that's what we're looking at. Um, I start off this piece with an intro saying appearances can, uh, can be deceiving. Things are not always as they seem. We've heard that before, right? Appearances can be deceiving. So when we we're all about, I mean, this is just the way we are. It's hard for us because we see the external. But how do we judge often when we see somebody? What's the first thing we want to do? Judge on their, on their parents, on their external. What do we see right there, right? Now, we can't see their heart. I, I had to chuckle. I thought back of my oldest son when he was in his dating life. And he had this one gal that he had seen, and she was an admin, and so he saw her when he went to, he, she worked at a, a legal group, and he would go by to take stuff by in his work, and he'd see her there, and he thought, man, is she good looking. <laughs> you know, just typical guy, right? And, and she, he kept thinking, well, I'd like to date her. I, you know, I think I want to do that. So he set up kind of this elaborate thing. That's the way he is, and put it all together, and did some really neat things, and really set it up so that she, you know, no way is she going to say, no, I don't want to go out. And he's good looking, too. So um, anyway... He gets her out on a date, and I knew it was coming up because he'd kind of worked on this for a couple of weeks. And at the next day, I said, Brian, how was it? He said, Dad, it was awful. It was awful. When I found out what she was like inside, it was awful. So that ended that. But I said, guess what I said to him? Appearances can be deceiving, you know. All a man's ways seem right to him. But the Lord, what? Weighs the heart. All our externals look good to us, but God says, I can see what's inside of you. That's what today's lesson ultimately is about. Um, think about the context. I'm always about context when we're teaching. We're in Matthew 25. Where are we in Christ's ministry? Always ask yourself that question. Where are you at this point in the Scripture, especially when you're in the New Testament, uh, in the Gospels, where are you in Christ's ministry? Early, middle, or late? Late. We're in late. 
What time is it? What's been happening? Where is he standing when he gives this? This is the Olivet Discourse. When you hear somebody say, hey, the Olivet Discourse, it's nothing. It's, it sounds like a fancy name, but it just means he's standing in the uh, uh, Garden, uh, Garden of Olives, uh, uh, Mount of Olives, I knew that didn't sound right, Mount of Olives, and he, uh, he has just been in the temple area. They've arrived into Jerusalem for the final week. It's a couple of days before the Passover. And so he has, in, in 23, I think, about Matthew 23, he has just given a blistering condemnation to the Pharisees and given what's called the seven woes. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. I mean, just on. And he's in the temple doing that. So he's been in the temple. He's turned the money tables over. He's done all of that. That's what Christ has been doing, giving all those woes. And um, they leave the temple area. He and disciples and some of the people following him. And as they're going out, what does Christ say when he looks at the temple? What does he tell the disciples? Look at this. There won't be a stone left on a stone. Now, it was a magnificent structure. You know, it wasn't Solomon's temple, but it had been rebuilt. And it was Herod's temple at this point. And what would the disciples have been thinking? Wow, that's really not. I mean, it would be like, it would be like looking at this nice church that we have, right? Marty commented on this the other week. Looking at this nice church and somebody coming along and saying, this is all going to be gone. What would, if you heard this was all going to be gone, what would be the first thing in your mind? When? When's it all going to be gone? Is it going to be gone tomorrow? We're talking 100 years from now? We're talking, does that make sense? I mean, that's what they would have been thinking. And obviously, when did, it, when did those stones go away? When, were they, when was the temple destroyed? 70 AD, about 40 years later, 30-some 30, 30 years later. But he was also referring to himself. I mean, he was referring to his, his side of the temple, that it would be destroyed, but he would be, he would be raised up. So they're confused, but they're thinking, hmm, when is this all? And, and, and in fact, the, the scripture tells us they pull him aside, just the 12 of them, and they say, Jesus, we got a couple of questions. When is this going to occur? And you've been talking about the end times, and just like us, what do we always ask about the end times? What are the signs of the end of the times? And that's what they asked him. They said, what are these signs you're talking about? You know, how are we going to know when the end times are here? And, and, and when is this going to occur? And Christ says a couple of things of interest. Again, this is before this Olivet Discourse. He goes, here's what it's going to look like. Rumors of wars, famines, all that stuff. That's just the birth pains. It's just getting started. But those are some of the signs of the end of the times. But he said, this I can tell you for sure, nobody knows the date or the time. Not even I, only the Father. And so when somebody yells at you, hey, Jesus is back, you know, because I tell you I'm coming back, Jesus is back. He goes, it's not me. Don't pay attention. It's not the way it's going to be. So again, he's leading up to that. And so they're obviously interested in this end time peace. And so they end up, Mount of Olives, and he gives three discussions here in Matthew. What's the first one? What's the first parable that we often talk about? What's that? The virgins. 
And if you study the virgins, it's a lamp, the, the oil being prepared with the oil. The oil is really representative of the Holy Spirit. And Christ is really saying, if you want to be prepared for the end times, how are you going to have, how do we know today that you can have the Holy Spirit in you? What's happened? You have been saved. You've been born again. You're a believer. Jesus is saying in the virgin group, you better be sure. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait until tomorrow. Because if I come, it's too late. So that's the piece on the verb. What's the next one? What's the next parable he talks about? The talents. The, the, the talents, right? Ten, five, one talent. I mean, you know that story. What's he talking about within that one? So he says, be sure that your salvation is in place. And then he says, what does the Father want you doing after you're saved? Does he want you sitting there on your butt? The way some of us do? Amen or oh me, you know? He goes, no, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, right? And so it's all about stewardship. It's saying, now what are you going to do with what I have given you? That's what, and so you remember, this is right at the end. These are like, you know, this is like a dad that's getting ready to die, knows he's going to die, and he's talking to his kids, and he's saying, this is the important stuff. Salvation, and now stewardship. Do the right things with what, you know, get on with it. Don't sit there and just wait for me to come. That's not what this is all about. And then the third one he gives is the one we're looking at today. And what's it about? It's about judgment. For those, you know, there's, there's several different groups of people out in the world that want to say, you know, when you want to talk to them about heaven and eternal life and so forth, there's some of them that goes, and I've had two or three men that I know well that I've talked to about this. And they go, now, I said, well, in fact, this, the same neighbor I got, this, uh, this one who's an atheist. I said, Otto, what do you think happens? Let me ask you an interesting question. What do you think happens when we die? And he just, he says, it, uh, that's it. No more. Ends. And I looked at Otar one night because he always wants to kind of get off on these peripheral issues. And I said, Otar, let me just clarify where you and I stand, because we're really pretty good friends. I mean, I enjoy being around Otar. He's a neat guy, a lot of good things. Um, he was the guy who, who, uh, who by the way, uh, pioneered the hair transplant. You know, I could have used one. But uh, <laughs> he was the guy that pioneered that here, especially in this part of the country. And I said to Otar, I said, so you're telling me here's the real issue. You think it just ends, and I think that we live on forever, all of us. And therefore, there is something we need to be said about that eternal life. And he starts, and I said, no, wait a minute. It comes down to really that. You think it just ends, and I think it doesn't. And he looked at me, and he says, yeah, he says, I think that's right. He says, you're probably right. That's probably the issue. And I said, so here's the deal. I said, if you're right, and, and I said, I can't prove it on my side, but you can't prove it on your side. But if you're right and I'm wrong, I've simply wasted my life. I, I guess I should have gone out and had a good time because it just ends. But I said, if I'm right and you're wrong, you're screwed. And I didn't say anything more. I'm just trying to get the man to think about it. I said, you know, it's all about risk analysis to me, hazard analysis. You know, you're facing a pretty big hazard here. 
And I just want you to be aware. And I, and I really said to him, Otar, my only interest as a friend is that you never look back and say, Terry, you never told me. I want you to know that I'm telling you. And I love you to death. I am not, I, I, no way am I going to force it upon you, but I want you to think about it. And he still keeps coming back, says he's an atheist. I said, okay, man, we enjoy each other's company. So, but that's the issue here. God is, or Christ has said, be sure you're saved, be sure you're a good steward, and be sure you recognize there is judgment. Everybody will come before the judgment seat. So in today's lesson, the scene preparation is number one, it's that Jesus returns. That's in that first piece. That's in your first note. All peoples gathered together will be separated. Everybody's going to be separated into two groups. And if you're going to talk about those two groups, how would you call the two groups based on what Christ said here? How would you label them? Sheep and goats is what he said, but what's internal, what does he call the sheep side? The, the, what word does he use? Look at your scripture. What word does he use? Righteous. He says, you're the righteous. And therefore, he's saying the other group is the unrighteous, right? So this is righteous. Now, if you read this piece, if you read this piece, you might look and go, well, if this is judgment, if this is separation, and you see the basis of the separation here, and Christ says, you know, you fed me, you clothed me, you did this and you did that. What does that sound like, those actions? Good what? Good works. You might read this and think, how is our salvation based? On our... On, no, but I'm saying if you read just this piece, you'd think it's on good works. That's what's confusing about this passage is you go, if this is about judgment and separation, sounds to me like he's talking about good works. I better get on with my good works side. A couple of things. One is we know that that's not the case from the rest of Scripture. So how does this fit in? Well, it fits in when you look at, and I'm giving you a broader piece here, and then we'll go back and flesh in some of the notes here. Um, but if you think about it, he says righteous and unrighteous. What do we know Scripture-wise? And we'll go look at a couple of these Scriptures. But what do we know about Scripture? What do we know about our righteousness? How righteous are we? without Christ. Like what? What does Isaiah say? Like filthy rags. Like filthy rags. No one is righteous. No, not one. Does that make sense? So if we're not righteous, but Christ is looking at this group and saying, these are the righteous, what's the difference there? What's he seeing? He's, he's seeing whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. Remember, it's not our righteousness we have anymore. We've taken on Christ's righteousness. So in this group, if they're called righteous, it's what must define them, and it's, they're righteous because, again, we, we're looking at the rest of Scripture. They're righteous because of their salvation, nothing that they've done, but they've taken on the righteousness of Christ. Does that make sense? So... In a broader sense, this is not about good works and not good works, although that's the way it's described in here. It's about the fact that works 
only look like works at all only if you are saved. If you're not saved and you're doing good works, how does Jesus see those? How does God see those? As nothing. That's what he's describing here. You did nothing. And this group, though, these group of goats are thinking at that point, what are they thinking? Well, wait a minute. I did some good things in my life. Then they start to list them all. But Christ goes, no, you're unrighteous. Therefore, we don't even see. Does that make sense? So that's the broader perspective of how you look at this passage to understand what's going on here within this. So, um, Uh, I, I made a note here, the glorified Son of Man who sits on the throne and pronounces judgment is the one who comes to, to earth initially. You know, he talks about the, the scene here is set as a king, somebody sitting on the throne, and Christ is there as that king, but how do we know he looks? He's really, he's really the servant king. How do we know that? Because when he came to earth to be among us, how did he come? As a servant, you know, in lowliness. What did we do to him? We crucified him. I mean, you think of all that he went through, but now you look at where he is as the king with all the angels around him. I mean, that's the scene set here. One of the neat things is to recognize no matter what the world does to us, someday we'll in perspective say it was all worth it. I mean, it, so take a good strong look at where Christ is in this picture. We'll be the same in this glorified body in heaven with him, enjoying all of this, right? And we'll look back and go, why did I worry about all this stuff going on? So, um, verses 32 and 33 in your notes, all peoples gathered will be what? They're to be, to be what? what what's, this, what's this going on in this time? Separation. So they're all there to be separated. And I give you Ezekiel 34, 17, as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and goats, between uh, between sheep and sheep, between rams and, and male goats. I didn't read that right. So, um, what do we know? Interesting piece. Although they're different, they're different gen, uh, genus. The the sheep and the goats. When you take a casual look at them, what do they look like? They look like the same. Really, the difference, the major difference, telling it. Uh, anybody know the difference between a sheep and goat? If you had them all standing here and they got. Ears hanging up, and of course they're different. The, you know, some sheep look different, but there's there's some sheep that look just like goats. How would you tell a sheep and a goat yourself? Anybody know? Anybody sheep? I'd look it up, but yes. Color of their hair would be one. That would be a good one. That's not the easiest one because they could be pretty dirty, and you wouldn't tell that. Anybody else know? Horns, horns yes. Horns can be it, but not, they don't all have horns either. The horns are not fully definitive. There's a definitive piece. It's about their tails. Anybody know anything about their tails? A sheep's tail is always hanging down. Unless, and, and, and a goat's tail is always sticking up. Unless he's scared and then it may drop too, but normally it's up. So if you look at them, you can tell by their tails. Now, when you're looking at these righteous and unrighteous people, remember, appearances can be deceiving as God looks out over this group of people sitting right here. Is there a chance... That there's some of us in both of those groups? I don't know your hearts. I'm hoping that you're all in the sheep group. 
But I don't know that. Because when the righteous and unrighteous stand before me, I can't see into their hearts. But Christ can immediately see in. And he immediately is able to say, that tail's up, that tail's down. You go this way, you go that way. I'm just telling you that. I mean, that's, but that's the way it seems to us. We look out over this group of people and we go, I don't see the tails. I can't see the difference. Be sure which group you're in because we all look the same. And, and by the way, when all the peoples get together here at the end times, when he's separating, they're all standing there initially and they're going, all right, I'm not, well, what's next? You know, what's going on? And, and Christ is sitting here doing this separation, but he's not telling them exactly why. Remember, he separates them first before he tells them anything, right? So you get to separate into two groups. Now, if you were separated, if your teacher ever separated you into two groups, what would you think? On what basis did she just separate? Am I in the good group or am I in the not-so-good group? Now, I had such a bad self-image, I always thought I was in a bad group no matter what, you know. I just, I figured I was not in the in crowd coming through. So, And I was always the last guy picked for, for sports. I have absolutely no hand-eye coordination of being blind in one eye. So I was always the last guy picked and... Yeah, so I just thought that's just the nature. But when you get separated and nobody's telling you what separation's about, I guarantee you the people are sitting there thinking, I wonder why I'm in this group. And so he goes into this discourse and he says to the one group on his left, what's he say? You're the righteous. And you did these six things for me. They list six things off. I mean, we make a big deal of that, but it's just six things. You, know, you did this, this, and interestingly, what does that righteous group say? When did we do that? They don't even recognize it. So if they don't recognize it, we even realize again that it's all about their righteousness, and that righteousness is only because they've said, I believe in what you have told me. I want to accept you into my life. All the things that we talk about as salvation. And so Christ says, I see my righteousness. I don't see yours anymore, and therefore you're in the right group. Really, the things that this righteous group did probably to the world, look the same. In fact, they may not even be as big a deal because some of the rich people over here got a lot of money and can do a lot of good things, and they think they're doing all these good works. But God looks at the group of goats and goes, you didn't do all these things. And they're thinking, well, yeah, we did. We did some of those things. And he's going, nope, you did not. And all of a sudden, this group of goats is going, what's going on? Where am I? I thought I was in good shape in my life. So anybody who says that, yeah, life just ends, doesn't have it right. There is going to be judgment. You need to clearly understand how to articulate that to somebody else to say, there will come a time. And yes, your good works. I thought I was a good person growing up. I thought that's how I got to heaven. That was what I believed. And... You know, I look back and think, thank goodness, God opened my eyes and my heart to see the gospel message. So, as we move forward, the sheep invitation, I, I, just some things to write down there. Verse 34, there's a blessing bestowed. So he puts a blessing upon them. He gives a reason. What was the reason he gave for giving them a blessing? Because you did these things for me. But really, when you go deep in, you realize... They were doing good things, and they were doing them out of compassion, not out of an obligation. And the reason they didn't feel, or they felt this compassion and obligation is because they had accepted Christ. So all of a sudden, 
this love of Christ wells up in us and overflows, and we start doing nice things for others. I mean, it's just part of what we do. And Christ says, yeah, I recognize that. What's interesting again to me is that we don't. As that group, we miss it. I think he doesn't condemn us for that in there, in this passage, but I feel a little condemned because I think I should recognize more of what God called me to in this in the previous parable about stewardship, right? About being a good steward, about doing these kinds of things, about thinking about them once I come to salvation. So, uh, reason given, and then there's questions by this righteous group that are asked, and then kindness at the end, where Christ says, I'm going to praise you for that. Um, let's see, I gave you some extra scripture there, Luke 22, verses 29 to 30, on the blessing bestowed, uh, and I assigned to you as my father signed to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Who is that? Who gets to do that? The righteous. Who is that? Hopefully that's you and me. I'm in, are you in? You know? Um... Those on the right, the sheep are blessed. They've received the king's favor. And interestingly, well, here, I, I, we'll, we'll get back to this here in a second, but I went back to some of the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit because what? Why? They will inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's why those Beatitudes are so important to understand what he's saying. A lot of times... The people, you know, Christ said the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? And you go, hmm, that doesn't quite make sense. And in this side of heaven, on earth, the last really are often last. They don't look very first down here, do they? But be assured, when you're standing... With Christ, number one, you have this separation. And then with even within our group of sheep, there's going to be those that were really last, that were doing, you know, we never saw what they were doing. And Christ's going to go, I called you to good works after your salvation. Were you a good steward? That's the whole thing of the talents, right? To the one that was five talents, he said, I'll give you five more. There's going to be a lot of that going on, and even we are going to go, ooh, I wish I'd have done more. I wish I would have understand or understood eternal rewards and how to push investment forward. I can't push my money. I can't push my things forward. But Matthew 5, 19 or wherever in there says, store up for yourself treasures in, in heaven. How do I store up myself treasures in heaven? If you want to study how to be rich. Think about, you know, we worry about our, our investments down here, but how long will they be good for us? A few years? 20 maybe, 30 by the time we get them? How long will our investments into heaven be good? For a long time, you know. When we've been there 10,000 years, right? We've only just begun. Um, then we go into, oh, I, I quote here, just to add to it, Philippians 3.9, talking about the righteousness. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
That's a good scripture to quote. So look that up, Philippians 3.9, as, uh, as a concept of this righteousness we take on. So let's get into the goat's dismissal. The curse is pronounced. Again, the reason is, like before, the reason is, what's our last reason? What was our note up above say? Given. Reason is still given. Guess what? Now, they don't have questions. If you notice, they don't ask multiple. They only ask one. Whereas the group up above ask it in a couple of different times. But a question is asked. They're probably just in shock going, when did we not do this to you? And what does Christ say? When you didn't do it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you didn't do it to me. And they had nothing else to say. And then the neglect uh, is rebuked. The neglect that they had given to those about them. Um, yeah, just the, all the rest of this, a lot of these notes here that you've got, a lot of these scripture references, I'm going to allow you this week to go in and I want you to look them up. I want you to spend some time. Because here's a challenge. You have such good teachers in Steve in this church that you guys sit under that you could do nothing and just listen to Steve and get a lot, right? But you should not believe everything that Steve says. And I guarantee you, you shouldn't believe everything that I say. And I guarantee my children don't. They say, Dad, you're bloviating again. <laughs> but you need to dig into the Scripture and say, God, what are you, what are you really saying to me here? But here, uh, let's get to this end piece. Let's talk about the uh, conclusions we make from this. Application. Oh, by the way, judgment is declared there on, on verse 46. He just reiterates, the story ends with a restatement of the eternal destinies of both groups. The one group gets to spend eternity with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in, in heaven. The other group gets exactly the same as what? what are the, what's the group of goats? What's their judgment? You get to spend eternity with the devil. He talks about Satan there, you know. It's the same, same, uh, same judgment. So, application. Good works do not get you to heaven. Be sure that your salvation is based only on God's grace through faith. So, when you look at good works, everybody gets messed up on this. Before salvation, what are our good works worth? Zero. Nothing. Only by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 are we saved through grace, right? But after our salvation, God calls us to good works. James says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers also, right? Faith without, what does James say? Faith without works is dead. So again, the application here. If you are a Christian, then recognize we are called to good works. In any case, we're going to be surprised at what we did, you know, that was really good. We think our good works really are important, and we go, wow, this was, you know, I really did something good. And we're going to get to heaven and go, God's going to say, he didn't even mention that. And he's going to mention, because it tells us here, he's going to mention some of this stuff that we do, and we're going to go, I don't even remember that. I don't remember doing that. So just be aware that we're going to be a little surprised, too, on, on those good works. I... I tell you this as a bottom line. I don't even know what your note says at the bottom. Let me see your note real quick here. Oh, okay. This is this quote from uh, Tim Keller. Uh, we need to show God's love to an unbelieving world 
so that when they ask what is different about us, we can give them the truth. What is the truth? What is the truth about the message in the Bible? Where are we? What are we all? We are all sinners. We're all going to hell. That's the truth. But if we tell that truth without any love at all, it's so harsh, the world can't hear it. But if we believe that it's just all about love in this sentimentality of, oh, if we just all get along, it'd be a really good place to live. That's got no truth in it, right? So that's what Keller says here. Love without truth is sentimentality, but truth without love is harshness. And the bottom line is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the message we need to carry. We need to carry this message of good works to the world so that they see the love of Christ in us so that when they come back and say, tell us a little more, we can then tell them the truth. And the truth is, you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen? Amen. That's what this is about. That's what this lesson is about. Let's... Quit right there. Lord, never enough time. We could sit here and talk about this, I know, for another hour. And I want the people here today to go away understanding that you've called us to salvation, you've called us to good stewardship, and you've called us to speak the truth in love. Show our love to an unbelieving world so that they can then hear the truth from us. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for that which you do in us and through us, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.